Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are sitting much closer together and there's more of you in one row, isn't it? That is great. I thank the Lord for that. You know, this morning we will launch a new sermon series on Rethinking Church. There's little doubt that COVID has changed the world. It has impacted almost every area of life. It has disrupted many of our usual routines. It has added to us practices and modes of functioning that haven't been encountered before. The church hasn't been spared as well. You know, the Barnard Group has recently relaunched one of its foundational projects, the State of the Church. This research project tracks culture and faith trends pertaining to the church in America and offers practical insights on how to lead through disruption and complexity. One of the featured articles in its 2020 report observed that one in three practicing Christians has stopped attending church during COVID-19. One in three practicing Christians, these are not nominal Christians, these are practicing Christians. One in three practicing Christians has stopped attending church during COVID-19. This survey was conducted among 1,000 adults from late April to early May 2020 as social distancing pushed worship services online. Concerning online church attendance, 35% are still and only attending their pre-COVID church. 14% have switched churches. 32% have stopped attending church. 18% are viewing multiple online services. Almost one-third have dropped out of church during covid of course, not reported here is a very small segment of people who prior to COVID-19 were not attending church and are now attending online during the pandemic. But it's a very, very tiny percentage. Now, concerning online church attendance by generation, baby boomers, generation X, millennials, 50% of Christian millennials have stopped attending online services. 50%. Now, it is a known fact that younger generations already have a tenuous relationship with institutions before COVID, and this persists during this era of digital church. Technology, apparently, is not a significant game-changer for Christian millennials when it comes to church attendance. Concerning emotions and online church attendance, 
data show that those not attending church are likely to bear more emotional burdens compared to all other practicing Christians. 17% say they feel bored all the time compared to 6%. 11% say that they feel insecure for some of each day compared to 7%. Data also show that even those who stop regularly attending worship services still desire support from a church community. He mentioned over there, 48% of them seek prayer and emotional support. Now, this survey was taken last year, somewhere between April and May, where the COVID situation is still pretty fresh, pretty new and when many of the worship services were conducted online. These percentages have probably shifted again as the pandemic progressed. How should a church respond to such findings? What must the church do to reverse such trends? How can a church make itself more relevant in our fast-changing world, especially to our younger generation? How can a church better leverage the latest digital tools and innovations? How can a church improve its online presence? Or should, we, or should it even provide one? How should a church reposition itself in its self-perception, in worship, in community and discipleship, in outreach. The sermons in the Rethinking Church series is our initial attempt to tackle some of these questions. I've invited three of our leaders to share from their varied perspectives and experiences, each focusing on a particular area. Now, unlike a one-speaker series, this may result in different views or even disparate ideas, but this is necessary and inevitable in any robust discussion. So let's have this discussion beginning this year. Nevertheless, it is our hope that these four sermons will contribute some way toward an honest, rigorous and ongoing conversation. Now, we do not have all the answers. We dare not to claim that we have the answers. But we are willing to listen to what God has to say to us and to respond accordingly. So where should we begin? Our tendency so often is to begin with a theory. The blank church. Our tendency so often is to find an appropriate description to fill that blank space. The, there have been many such attempts over the years. The purpose-driven church. The simple church. The emergent church. The digital church. 
many are talking about it today, the digital church, our tendency so often is to begin with a theory of church. We then go to our Bibles with this theory. Our reading is controlled by it. We suddenly find evidences everywhere in the Bible to support our theory or our favourite theory of church. Can I submit to you, there is nothing quite so dangerous than to go to the Bible with a pet theory of ours. This is what the church must be like. This is how we should organise the church. This is what we should do today. We come out with a pet theory of what church should look like. I don't think this is the right place to begin. In times like this, we must first get our fundamentals right. In times like this, we must first get our fundamentals right. We must let the Bible speak for itself. You know, when God wrote this, or when God inspired the human authors to write this, He already see the beginning he already sees the end. He sees everything. He knows exactly everything that is happening around the world. And then he gave us the Bible. And this Bible is not just for people living 2,000 years ago. It is for people living today and 2,000 years later, if it lasts that long. It is always perpetually relevant and speak to all our circumstances. We must let the Bible define the boundaries of our explorations into what it means to be church and to do church. We mustn't get it in our eagerness to jump, into the, jump onto the digital bandwagon. We mustn't let our itching ears dictate what we want to hear. Fundamentals have to do with foundations. You know, the tale of the two houses in the Sermon on the Mount comes to mind. You know, this tale of two houses stuck with me throughout this entire year. It keeps coming back to me again and again and again. You know, from the ground up, they look the same. You can't tell them apart. You can't tell what they are like from the ground down. You can't see it. But you can see what is from the ground up. And when you look at them, for example, those two houses, when you look at them, they, they look exactly the same. What's the difference? There's no difference. Everything looks the same. You see, foundations are revealed only when the rain came down the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. Foundations are only revealed when the rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. Foundations are revealed only during dire circumstances. And then I understand why God brought the pandemic. God is shaking things. The same is true of the church. That is what the present pandemic is accomplishing. It is accomplishing. It is revealing our foundations. It is revealing our fundamentals. It is revealing what the church truly believes. 
In fact, not just the church in its corporate stand, but individually as well. It reveals what is most important to you. According to the Lord, the difference between falling and not falling and between building on rock and building on sand is whether the church hears the words of Jesus Christ and does them. Not the opinions of people. Not the ideas of futurists. Not even the words of church growth experts. But the words of Jesus Christ. Fundamentals. Look, there, there is. The Lord says it so very clearly. Whatever situation I bring, you know how you survive? When you hear my words and do them. That's how the church ultimately survives. When God does all the shaking, that's how foundations are being revealed. Are you building your life on the very words of Jesus? And then act according to those words as the Lord teaches you day by day. So what is the church? The answer often given is the church is not the building. The church is the people. Well, that is not wrong, but I believe there is a more fundamental answer. It must begin with Christ. Now, this is very important. You might think that this is so obvious, but I can tell you it is not obvious. It must begin with Christ. I can't stress this enough. That is why when people ask me, what is the vision of Gelang EFC? I don't say anything else. I say only one. We only have one vision. It is not a statement. It is not a thing. It is not what I prefer or what I want. It is not what the majority of the church wants. Our vision is only one person. It is Jesus Christ. What he wants, we want. Where he go, we go. What he tells us to do, we do. Everything is about Christ. Our host elder this morning reminded us that Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. Everything starts with Him, continues with Him, and ends with Him. The church is not the building. The church is the body of Christ. Now, when we say this, it's very important. When you say that the church is the body of Christ, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now, you're all familiar with this. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, when you say this, there are implications. Let me explain. This tells us one thing. The body belongs to Christ. Right? The body of Christ. It's Christ's body. Therefore, Here's the implication. Therefore, we have no right to give his body the shape we want. No right. We have no right to give his to subject it to a makeover of our own choosing. Neither can culture, nor circumstances, nor crisis. Remember this, the Lord said to Moses, Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Moses didn't hire an architect to come up with century plans. He didn't consult 
the elders of Israel for their thoughts. The decision wasn't his or theirs to make. Exodus chapter 25 verse 9 says this, this is from the Lord, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. God gave very specific instructions for the tabernacle, even down to its actual measurements. That is why when we come to that part of the Bible, we get a bit bored, right? Wow, this cubic, that cubic, this long, that wide, that every little detail. Then you keep asking yourself, why? At least if you say in centimeter, I still can understand now. What you tell me, cubic, what is similar? Eh? Hand breath, what is that? But then you got detail after detail after detail. How big it is, how small it is, how high it is, how wide it is, where exactly you must put it. God gave very specific instructions for the tabernacle, even down to its actual measurements. Today, Christ's body, the church, is the tabernacle or temple of the Holy Spirit. We can't make the church as we like. We must follow the pattern God has shown us in the Scriptures. Now Paul explains the fundamentals of the church in his letter to the Ephesians. Let me pick up a few verses. Chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. Verse nine, verses 19 to 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the church. Here's where you say, wow. You mean, that's me, along with my brothers and sisters? That is where God is dwelling today? Not at this place or that place, but here with us. And if this is the new temple of God, ought we not make this temple according to the pattern that He showed us in the Word of God? The body of Christ is established, according to the, the passage there in Ephesians chapter 2, the body of Christ is, is established on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That is, on the words of Christ. What does the prophet say? Words of Christ. What do the apostles later on say? The words of Christ. Christ holds everything together. Remove this chief cornerstone, everything falls apart. That is why we cannot do church without Christ. The body of Christ must grow in every way to become like Christ, who is the head. That is why you hear say so often, until you sometimes get even sick of it. 
What do we do here? Grow you into the likeness of Christ. Likeness of Christ. Likeness of Christ. Likeness of Christ. Because this is now the exact pattern that God wants. How should the church look like? Like Christ. How does Christ look like? Here you go. Exemplify Christ and you become the church, or at least the church of Jesus Christ. Now, it's sad to say there are many churches out there that are not the church of Jesus Christ. They call themselves the church, but they are not the church of Jesus Christ because it's not about Jesus. It's all about them. What is the church? It must begin with Christ. I tell you, regardless of which generation we are living in, the Word of God cannot lie. What they need the most is Jesus Christ. Yes, they are millennials. Yes, they are Generation Y, Generation Z. They are whatever they will call our future generation. Whatever it is, yes, they will be exposed to things that we in the earlier generation would never even think of. There will be new technologies arising that we will never even experience, some of us. But even during that generation, shaped by culture, shaped by their education, shaped by their parents, shaped by family, there's still one thing they will always need, Jesus Christ. If the church is all about Jesus Christ, there is always an organism or organization that will always meet the needs of the people, regardless of the generation they are in. So here's the first thing we must remember. It must begin with Christ. Let me go on. It must also exemplify communion. The Apostles' Creed include the statements, these statements. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Catholic here means universal. Early in its practice, the members of the body of Christ recognize the spiritual solidarity they share with one another. Never seen anywhere else. It is not social clubs. There is this amazing spiritual solidarity that is out of this world. There's this incredibly intimate bond. It is like the marriage bond, and the marriage shall become one. Right? Marriage, you say what? And the two shall become one, right? But it is a replication of the marriage bond, and the many shall become one. Very intimate language use. From the beginning, Christians express this solidarity variously. They worship together. They fellowship together. They attended to the apostles' teaching together. They broke bread together. They prayed together. They shared all things in common. They couldn't even seem to stay away from one another. Why do I say that? Look at that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. This is the Apostle Paul. As for us, brothers and sisters, when for a short time we will make orphans by being separated from you in person, not in heart, we long, must hear that language, we long with great eagerness to see you face to face. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, wanted to again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Now Paul said those words. John expressed a similar sentiment in his second letter. 
chapter 1, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Now, there were also many dangers associated with travelling those days. Okay? A lot of dangers. You, you don't have a plane to fly over, you walk most of the time. You take a ship, there's shipwreck. You walk through the mountains, there's bandits. You get robbed. Very dangerous. Yet, that didn't stop Christians from wanting to meet face to face. Now, the communion of saints certainly mean more than just physical gathering. But somehow, their assembling together plays a significant part in their understanding of what it means to be the body of Christ. So they come together. Yes, it is more than physical gathering, but they use that physical gathering to accomplish that which the Lord is teaching them. Close, intimate communion with one another. The Christian faith isn't a private affair. This is something I must correct. I hear this enough times. Oh, it's just between me and God. It's private. Then I'm sad to say that you have not understood the Bible at all. The Christian faith isn't a private affair. It isn't between you and Christ only. You are connected to Christ the head, that's right. But you are also connected to His body, the church. The body of Christ is much more than just attending a weekly service. That's right, I agree. It is much more than just a community. There can be community without communion, you know. You know, I, I still remember one of the, my, our favourite practices as a church uh, was as the hosts come up here, what is the first thing they do? Pre-COVID. Greet the church and then after that, say this, right? Will all of you stand up? Let's cross the aisle and greet one another. You remember that? And then you cross the aisle, or oh, I see you hugging one another, you know, shaking hands with one another. You know, where got fist bump one? Last time, no fist bump one. Uh. Last time, hug. Uh. Right? Now, all these are a start to break down the ice, to break down the awkwardness. Why do you want to do that? You break all these things down so that you can talk heart to heart. We can't do this today. I can't ask you to intermingle. Right? I'll be arrested. But you all can do it creatively. Hmm, what can I do? Well, if God say, huh, I can only meet with only two can sit together, right? You know what I'm going to do? Because I'm going to practice communion, right? I'll call one more to go for lunch with me. I call one more to just go to the museum together with me. I call for one more to have coffee together. Let's talk about Jesus Christ. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about vocation. Well, God said, give us five. Thank you, Lord. We use the five. God give us eight. We use the eight. God said, go back to two. We go back to two. You see, no need to... Ah, yeah. God knows exactly what He's doing. He understands and He's teaching us. It's not just gathering together. It is about communion. And communion you cannot have with 1,000 people or 100. You can have with a few. If you see what God is doing, then you will understand. 
that what he desires is that the body of Christ is a communion of saints, meeting one another, encouraging one another, and spurring one another to love and good deeds. What is the church? It must begin with Christ. It must exemplify communion. Third one. Let me give you one more. It must major in charity. Built on the foundation of Christ, joined together into one body, the church is the only living organism and organization that can provide well-rounded care to all humanity. I say this without apology. People may disagree with me, but I say this according to the Word of God. The church is the only organism and organization on this earth that can provide well-rounded care to all humanity. Because it's the church of Jesus Christ. Now, by charity, I don't mean just giving money or its equivalent. That's easy. It certainly includes that because we see that in the early church, Acts chapter 2, verse 45, for example, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That is the first relief fund ever invented. The worldwide relief fund. For all the world, everyone who is in need. The church understands something about what it means to be a church. They share generously. They give away sacrificially. How can they give away sacrificially? Because they know a God can give them even more. Because God owns everything, right? So why are you afraid to give something away? No problem. When you give something away, God gives you more. He who sow liberally will reap liberally as well. Now, charity includes financial relief to those in need, but it is also much, much more. Charity is not just the province of the rich. Remember the story of the crippled beggar in chapter 3 of Acts? He asked Peter and John for money. Peter replied this, chapter 3, verse 6. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There you go. Charity does not involve merely silver and gold. If you have them and your brother or sister need them, you give. But it's much more than that. You give the most precious gift ever given to humankind, the gift of Jesus Christ. That is what Peter and John did. The beggar didn't receive money that day. He received something even better. Not just healing, but Jesus Christ. Now, you know, one of the, the most precious gifts ever given to humanity is the person of Jesus Christ. He is real treasure. To give him up, you will be a fool. To exchange him for the riches of this world, you are a fool. Because this is true riches, heavenly riches, cannot tarnish, cannot be destroyed, forever yours, Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 John 
says this, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. That is what the church needs to do. Love, love, love. Christian charity is meant to showcase not the generosity of the church. What do we have? Everything we have comes from God. Lord. Christian charity is meant to showcase the love of God. It springs from love. Jesus knew it well. That is why he thought, here is the greatest commandment of all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You do this thing, you do everything. The world must know us by our love for God and our love for people. That's how the world will recognise us. They does not recognise us just because we have a building with a cross on top. They recognise us and will say, these people are from God when they see God kind of love in us, exhibited by us. The body of Christ must excel here, sharing not just material blessings, but also spiritual blessings, not just earthly goods, but also heavenly goods, especially the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, don't be ashamed to tell your friend about Jesus Christ. They may not know it at that point in time, but they need him desperately. Don't be afraid because you're giving them good things. Such charity should begin with the household of God. Then it moves increasingly outward. Our Lord says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is a full orb Christian weakness, a comprehensive weakness to the fullness of Christ. His words, his wisdom, his walk, his wealth, his works. What is the church? I suggest just three things here. There are many more. I just start with these three. It must begin with Christ. It must exemplify communion. It must major in charity, major in love. We must get our fundamentals right first. Only then can we explore our freedom safely? The freedom to innovate. The freedom to experiment. The freedom to do things differently. The freedom to apply available tools and technology to the life of the church. Our fundamentals must cradle our freedoms. You know 1 Corinthians chapter 3? 11 to 13, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Our fundamentals must discipline our freedoms. Use gold. Use silver, use costly stone. Either of them is acceptable. 
It is good. But there are limits to our freedoms. Use wood, use hay, use straw. None of them is good at all. As they couldn't survive the test of the final fire, fire on Judgment Day. There are freedoms. You can use gold. Go ahead. The tabernacle uses gold. The tabernacle uses silver. The tabernacle uses costly stones. But be careful how you build. Freedoms is given to you, but be careful. Ensure that the fundamental comforts. The fundamental must cradle our freedoms. Let me tell you this story, a quick one. In a Bible, David wanted to move the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Remember that? He wanted to move the Ark back to Jerusalem. They carried the Ark on a new cart. Very innovative. New some more. 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 9 and 10. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the Ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died before God. There was freedom to move the ark. No problem. God said, you can move it. In fact, Israel throughout their wilderness wandering is moving the ark from place to place. There was even freedom to locate the ark in Jerusalem. No problem. Freedom to do that. Or a, a city of God's choosing. But there were also limits. Later, David says this, chapter 15, verse 2. Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before Him forever. That, that's, that's what my greatest concern is. There's a poignant lesson here for the church. In our excitement to innovate and try out new ways to be church and to do church, we mustn't forget our fundamentals. What God has already taught us in Scripture, we mustn't forget it. We mustn't be presumptuous. What works may not necessarily be the work of God. Sometimes we are so practical, you know. This one work good. What work is good? No. Carrying the ark on a new cart works, right? Works. You still can get from point A to point B, no problem. Carrying the ark on a cart was a workable idea, but it wasn't what God wanted. One man paid with his life because the leaders of Israel took their freedoms too far. Like that also can. Ah. How did Israel come and forgot that the ark is meant to be carried only by Levites. Where along the way, King David, no? Where along the way they have forgotten this? It's scary, isn't it? We must get our fundamentals right. The church is the body of Christ. It must begin with Christ. It must exemplify communion. It must major in charity. Our fundamentals must cradle our freedoms. Only then can we explore our freedoms safely. The freedom to rethink church, the freedom to rethink worship, the freedom to rethink community and discipleship, the freedom to rethink outreach. I trust that we remember this as we begin this exploration onwards in the coming
days, months, years, and a generation to follow. Let us pray. Let me give you a moment to just pray. I've said many things. Just speak out that one thing you believe the Lord is speaking to you. Focus on that one thing and then respond accordingly to the Lord. The Lord is gracious. Heavenly Father, forgive us the church, for oftentimes making your things to be our things. Did not the Lord Jesus say to Simon Peter, after Simon Peter has confessed him as the Messiah, you always have in mind only the things of men, not the things of God. That is satanic, demonic, always only concerned for the things of men. Lord, I ask on behalf of my brothers and sisters here, you grant us this special spirit, passion to major on heavenly things, to major on godly things, to major on the words of Jesus Christ. Will you help us here, O Lord, because on our own we cannot do this. So change us from the, within, from the inside out. Change our hearts. Let it be a heart not of stone, but a heart of flesh that will beat passionately for you, O Lord. So help us, Lord, as we begin this journey together, as the times demand it, to rethink what it means, O Lord, to be the church of Jesus Christ, to rethink what it means to worship God in fear and reverence, to rethink what it means to have community in the light of all the many restrictions, to rethink what it means to disciple others, and to make disciples of others, and what it means, O oh Lord, to reach out in a challenging climate like we have today. So help us, Lord, but let us remember our fundamentals, that it must begin with Christ, it must embrace communion, the church must major in charity, the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, the love of the Holy Spirit. We give you thanks, and in your name we pray. And let the people of God say, Amen.